You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated. You can be seated today, and I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to move real quickly today. Now, let me go ahead and tell you that uh, last week, or last couple of weeks, we've looked at this issue of marriage, divorce, remarriage, and uh, we've got children now leaving. Uh, Bethany's carrying the kids out, and that's great. Boy, this is a big group of kids. Wow, look at that. Man, that's power. You ought to uh, get a shot of that, Brian. That is just great. Amen. Amen. Good to see that. Good to see it. So that means everybody in here is on, uh, is uh, ready to receive the word. So if kids are in here now, they're not going to probably enjoy this. First Corinthians chapter 7, real quickly, let me bring you a little bit up to date. The Apostle Paul, let me tell you, this, this book of the Bible, a letter from the Apostle Paul, while Paul is staying in Ephesus. Paul is in Ephesus. Uh, he, had, he spent over 18 months in the city of Corinth. He established the church there among some uh, fellow tent makers. And that church is in a very, very tough place. It's like a church being in Las Vegas. It was just a, or New Orleans. It was a very tough place to plant a church. This church had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. And so the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus and a delegation comes from the church that he had established in Corinth with some real problems and some real issues. Let me tell you, I want you to hear me. The book of 1 Corinthians is historically one of the most accurate pinpointed books in all the New Testament. In other words, even outside voices, even those that are outside the faith, recognize that the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul and they can pinpoint the date because of the historical perspective that Paul brings to the letter. So this is an interesting book of the Bible, but I need you to pay attention today. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something different. This is the reason we have a little bit of an abbreviated worship. Today, you're going to have an opportunity to ask me questions. So if there's something you don't understand, if you'll raise your hand, I'll recognize you. Uh, and all I ask you to do is to speak very loud and to say it very close, okay? Keep it very simple. Uh, don't, don't expound. Don't go on and on because people live streaming can't hear you. But I did some research. Uh, how many of you, is it Champlain, the condos that fell? Is that the name of Champlain South Tower? Champlain South Tower South, the condos that fell. Have any of you been watching this down in Miami? It ends up probably about 130 people will have died in that. I went back and I was looking at some of the individuals that were a part of that. A guy by the name of Nathan Reber, I think, or Reiber is his name. He was the contractor. He was the builder of that. It was built in 1981. Um, he was, um, I allege is not in here, but Molly, he was a disbarred lawyer. He lost his law, he lost his, uh, his ability to be a lawyer because of tax evasion which Molly would tell you as a lawyer, that's a serious thing. Uh, there, there were some things about his life that, uh, you know, he was Polish, I think Polish descent, but he was the contractor, the builder of that condo that went down. 
Uh, I began to look at some of the architects that were a part of that uh, building, the planning and the putting together of that. Then I began to listen to some structural engineers that were talking about how that condo failed, what happened to it. But I want you to hear me. One of the key individuals in it was the guy that went to inspect the pool. The pool inspector, swimming pool. This guy went down there. He began to go down into the understructure of that condo. He began to look at it, uh, doing an assessment of the swimming pool, and he began to notice, notice some structural issues that in 2018 had been brought up, but they had yet to fix it. It was going to require $15 million to fix the problem. And it was called stalling. What happens is, is that when concrete begins to, what happens once rebarb in concrete, the reinforcement, once it's exposed to water and to the elements, it's called stalling. It begins to expand, and as it expands, the concrete begins to break down. I was listening to a video, a mom and a daughter at one something, one, I think it was 1.18 in the morning, walked out, they were out late, they came in and they could hear and they saw this water as the pool began to break and they were listening to this unbelievable noise coming out of the garage, the parking garage. And they began to take video and that video has just now been made available. There was a woman on the fourth floor who was talking to her husband who woke up out of a sleep, got up, called her husband and said, something's wrong with this building, something's wrong with it. And as she was talking to her husband, all of a sudden the phone went dead. She's not been accounted for yet. But I thought about the pool guy. I thought about the guy that went and invested and looked and inspected the swimming pool who immediately let them know. He, he said, there's something wrong with this building. It is not safe. But he's just a pool guy. He don't He's not a structural engineer. He's not an architect. He doesn't know anything, but he recognized the problem. And let me tell you one of the biggest problems we have today. Young people, you need to tune in because you're yet to be there. For every young person in this room who's one day going to be looking for a husband or a wife, you need to understand something. You need to make sure that you are in the perfect plan, purpose, and will of God for your life. Because let me tell you what you don't want to do. You don't want to go through divorce. Because let me tell you what divorce is. Divorce is hell. And that's not my opinion. That's 40 years of counseling and watching people go through it. There's nothing pretty about it. It's ugly. And if kids are involved, it is really ugly. And man, it is costly. People pay a price. And let me tell you, I'm like, I heard John MacArthur make this statement. A guy by the name of Bob Utley is another one. Bob Utley is an expert on the Greek and the Hebrew. Bob Utley said this, and he said exactly what John MacArthur said. Let me tell you what every Bible teacher, every preacher, every scholar of the New Testament says. They said, man, I wish Jesus and Paul had spent a lot more time on this subject. Because I can tell you this much. This is a tough subject, and as I said, every person in this room, every family has been affected at some point, somehow, by divorce. My grandmother was divorced. She was born in 1902. Her divorce came in the 1920s, unheard of, ostracized, alienated from society. My mom was divorced with about a two- or three-year-old little girl, my oldest, my oldest sister. Both my sisters have been divorced. Both my sister-in-laws have been divorced. The reality is, is that divorce affects every one of our lives. 
And so let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to move real quickly, and you can interrupt if you need to. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now, Paul says it right there. He has a delegation that comes from Corinth, and they bring all these questions and all these problems that stem from people who have been called up in the Roman. Remember, the Romans had four different kinds of marriage. You had, you had those that were in a tent relationship, a live-in relationship, that's sin. If you're not married, you don't live with somebody. They had the uses, they called it uses, where you had uh, common law marriage. And Molly, I learned that we don't have that in Mississippi anymore. It used to be seven years. So in the Roman culture, in the Corinthian environment, you had slaves that could live together or the slave owner could put them together in or if he wanted to and he could pick up a slave and move them here. Over 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. This is not something that's peculiar to the American culture and our history. It's been around forever. So you had, you had live-in relationships that, people, that a slave owner could just simply say, well, I'm tired of this. You can't live with him anymore. I want you to go over here. And so these people that had converted to Christ, they were sitting, they were coming out of live-in relationships. They were coming out of common law marriages where they once you lived together for a year, you were husband and wife. They were coming out of uh, uh, what we call in the African culture, Ebola, where a father would sell his, sell his daughter. Guy come up and say, man, you got a beautiful daughter and I know you're in need of cash. Can I buy your daughter? He would pay the father, the father would give the daughter, and she would be married to this stranger. Then you had people that had a, a quote, nice church wedding. And oh, the church wedding that we celebrate, that we practice, that came out of the customs of the Roman Empire. That was what the rich and the affluent did. They had, they walked down the aisle, they were dressed up, the grooms came down, the bride came down, they had a cake, they had a wedding ring. You remember what I told you last week? The reason your ring is on that finger is because that finger has a nerve that runs all the way to your heart. So they come with all these questions, this cultural context. And in verse 2, but, but since there's so much immorality and each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband, the husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife. Likewise, the wife to her husband, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this. Guess what people were doing? They were going, hey, in Corinth, sex is such a bad thing. It is so evil. It is so bad. We're just not going to do, we're not going to have sex anymore. It doesn't matter whether we're married or not. It doesn't matter the arrangements that we're in. We're just simply going to quit having sex. Paul said, don't do that. That ain't going to work. I read, I, I always loved this story. A guy, him and his wife are just married and they were trying to settle this issue of sex and, you know, how often as a married couple. And she was standing, he was sitting there and she was standing over and she said, you know, I think that we should do it on every day that begins with a T. And he went, Tuesday, Thursday, Dadder Day, Dunday. <laughs> 
What, what some people were saying, well, wait a minute, if sex is so bad, and it is in, in the Corinthian culture, then the best thing to do is just not to do it at all. Plus, Paul said no. He said, let me tell you, if you're married, if you're in a marriage, whatever that marriage may be, you don't need to do that. That is sin to deprive each other of the physical part of your relationship, of your marriage. That's a responsibility. And if you don't meet that need, he's saying to husband and wives, if you don't meet that need, if you don't take care of that need, 80,000 men, the number one need was sexual fulfillment. Number one need. Number one need of women was affection. His needs, her needs, Willard Harley's book, Dr. Willard Harley. The reality is, is a man has to have it and a man better understand her need is affection. Paul said, listen, you've got to take care of each other. Now listen, and the only time you don't do it, you deprive each other, is when you sit down, agree together, we are fasting and praying, or we are broken about something, and right now physically we just simply don't feel like we can do it. We don't want to do it. We're devoting ourselves to some spiritual things, and we're not going to have sex. Paul said that's to be agreed upon, it's to be a season, and then afterwards you to come back together and fulfill each other's need. Now listen to this, because Paul said, if you don't, you're going to open up one or the other to the enemy, to Satan. And let me tell you, I want everybody to listen closely. There are a lot of marriages that are failing sexually, physically, and you know why? Because they are taking medications that deprive them of sexual appetite. The reality is, if you're on medication, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications, it will begin to affect your desire for each other. You cannot and should not stay on that very long or make sure that you go under a doctor's care and you explain sometimes when that area of your marriage is affected. It's not good. And that's why I don't believe in drugs only. I believe in behavioral therapy as well. Paul's saying, look, meet this need, take care of each other. That's one thing. Now let's read on. Verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows. And Paul uses the Greek word unmarried, agamos. Now to the unmarried and widows, stay unmarried as I am. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul says real quickly, he says, listen, now for those people who are widows, well, what is a widow? What is a widower? There's somebody that has been married and death has taken their spouse. And so Paul said, listen, if, if, and Paul will go on to say this, I think in 1 Timothy. He said for young widows, he said they definitely need to remarry because they can't handle it. He said they probably need to remarry. They've had that. They've had that in a relationship, in a marriage. They no longer have it. Paul said they need to, they need to remarry. He said to the unmarried, and here's the catch here. Who are the unmarried? Because Paul talks about four groups of people. He talks about the widow, he talks about the married, he talks about the unmarried, and he talks about the virgin. The virgin is somebody who's never had sex. The, the married are those people that are married at present. The widow is somebody who's married, but death has taken their individual, their, their spouse. And then the unmarried, the agamos, the Greek, is that individual who's married and is no longer married, they're divorced. Paul said to those people, he said to the agamos, to the unmarried and the widow, he said, listen, if you can't handle being without a spouse, you need to get married. Now everybody listen close. Is it cold in here? Are y'all, okay, if y'all all right, I'm all right. Maybe I'm just scared, Dwayne. What Paul is saying is, Paul is saying, if you can't handle not having that 
companionship and that physical part of your life being filled, Paul said you need to marry because it is better to marry than to burn. He's not talking about burning in hell. He's talking about burning with sexual desire and passion to the degree that you can't function. And every man knows what I'm talking about. So Paul's saying, if you can't handle that, then you need to get married. You need to settle this, and you need to remarry to the unmarried and the widow. If you can't handle it, then remarry. Better to marry than to burn. Is everybody with me so far? I haven't seen any questions yet. Let's move on. Verse 10, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Whoa. And that's the catch, isn't it? And I want everybody to listen to me closely because this is critical. You may say, what is Paul saying here? Paul's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's saying to the believer, to the child of God, he is saying, listen, if there is problems in your marriage, get help, do whatever you need to do, but hang on in that marriage, don't end it. And you say, well, wait a minute, Brother Jeff. What, what grounds can a believer, a child of God, end a relationship, end a marriage? Let me give you the two, the only two that I know of. Matthew 19, adultery, fornication. The other one, abandonment. And Paul will talk about that for a moment. In other words, it, when, through the years when people have come and say, Brother Jeff, we'd like for you to perform a ceremony. We've been married before. I always ask about the particulars of it. I always want to know the particulars of it. Because I think legitimately for the believer, the Christian, the child of God, to have a legitimate grounds of divorce, the only two reasons that I know of is adultery and abandonment. Some people may add abuse, but that's not in the Bible. Okay, Ken, real loud, short. Okay. I think in the case of abuse, definitely separation. I have, if, I'm, if I become aware of abuse, and I've dealt with abuse even in the last few weeks, if I come aware of abuse, I'm always going to tell that individual, you need to get out of that situation and find a safe place. Okay? You need to get out of that situation and find a safe place. Yes? About what? A lack of affection is not grounds for divorce. I mean, it's a number one need of women, but it's still not the grounds for divorce. The, the, remember, the only two grounds biblically for the believer, the Christian, to have grounds to lead their marriage would be adultery. And even in that case, it's repeated unrepentant adultery, and the other is abandonment. Therese. Real loud. Well, I, you know, Therese, I think for any single person in a, in a, a very pagan society, it's going to be difficult. Let's, let's face it, I'm getting ready to be 
Kurt. How, let's take virginity. How many men and women today are virgins? If a man or a woman wanted a virgin, how hard is it going to be even to find somebody that's not been promiscuous? Why? Because we're in a post-Christian nation. We're a very pagan society. We have become very, very sexually oriented. Every advertisement, TV programs, movies, everything now is about sex. They use sex to sell cars, everything. We've been, pornography is a, is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar industry. So we've moved to a level of such depravity and paganism for a single person looking for a spouse who says, I don't have the gift of celibacy. I want to get married then they're going to have to pray long and hard and ask, God, you're going to have to bring somebody into my life. That's one. The second thing, they're going to have to stay busy in the kingdom of God. A lot of times this is what I've said to rest of single people. I've said what you need to do is be so plugged into purpose, God's purpose for your life, that you're so invested in it and so moving in that direction that at a certain point, and this has happened over and over again, you turn and you look and somebody's standing right there by you. They've come alongside of you because you're both going in the same direction. Uh, there's no easy answer there, Therese. This, that, that is a tough issue for single men and women. And, and the pickings are small. You're right. Teresa's doing this. Now, let me say this. You know, uh, a lot of times we just have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and who God may be bringing into our life. So, but um, let me move on. Verse 12, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what Paul was saying to the people of Corinth, because what happens is, as a husband or wife, man or a woman becomes a believer. They become a Christian. They hear, they hear the gospel message. They repent. They put their faith in Christ. They identify with the local New Testament church. Their spouse is not a believer. A woman comes to Christ, her husband doesn't. Husband comes to Christ, his wife doesn't. So what they were saying to Paul is, so we're unequally yoked. And because we're unequally yoked, we need to sever, we need divorce, we need to cut this, we need to cut this saved man, I meant this, uh, this unsaved man, this unsaved woman, we need to cut them off. We need to, we need, we're unequally yoked, so we need to divorce, we need to end this marriage. Paul said, don't do that. If they're willing to stay with you, stay in it. In other words, they may abandon you, you don't abandon them. Ken. We're going to get to that because he brings up the fact of tension and division and God doesn't like that. You're right. But remember Malachi 2, God hates divorce. So what God is saying, what God is saying through the Holy Spirit in Paul, he's saying, listen, outside of adultery and abandonment, Paul said, listen, if they're willing to stay with you, hang in there, stay in that. Don't abandon them. They may abandon you. Don't abandon them. One more thing. It says here that the unsaved husband, the unsaved wife, the children will be sanctified. What in the world does that mean? That does not mean salvation. 
Let me tell you, there are times that I've been out of the will of God, she's been in the will of God, and you know what I've been able to do? I've been able to live in the fallout of God's blessing in her life. What Paul was saying is to the believing husband or the believing wife who's married to somebody who's not a believer and whose children are not believers, Paul's saying, listen, there's salt, light, and yeast in that home, in that marriage, in that family, and there's a higher probability that that spouse will come to Christ, those children will come to Christ because of the influence of the Holy Spirit in you, in that marriage, and in that home. Does that make sense? That unsaved person is going to live in the fallout of God's blessing on your life. You continue to walk with Christ, and that is affecting their life. Now, let's go back to what Ken says, because some people are living in absolute hell. So is Paul saying, listen, stick it out, man up, woman up, muscle up, put your big britches on. What does Paul say here? Verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves what? You see it? Verse 15. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has, now here it is, Ken, you see that? God has called us to live in what? In peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul said this real quickly. To those people who become Christians are married to a non-believer. Paul said this, he said, listen, hang in there, stay in it. That person is going to be affected by you being the salt, light, and yeast. You keep living out the faith. You be the witness. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're bringing the Holy Spirit into that marriage, into that home. You're affecting your children, and eventually you may affect that husband, that wife who doesn't believe. Let them live in the fallout of God's blessings, God's presence in your home, on your life. Let me tell you, listen, I want you to listen to me. There, there are some of you who work in jobs that are absolute hell. They ridicule you, they ostracize you, they alienate you, they make fun of you, they talk bad about you, they don't appreciate you, and you work your butt off, and you get tired of it. But let me tell you, listen to me closely. You can look at that boss and say, the day you fire me, or the day I walk out of here, you can be rest assured that the power of God's Holy Spirit that has been in this place will no longer be here. And you get ready for the cost that it'll, it'll bring. Your life, you as a temple of God's Holy Spirit, in a marriage, in a family, in a community, in a job, in an office, in a school, wherever you are, is God's Holy Spirit in you bringing it into that entire environment. They're living in the fallout of God's blessing on your life. That's powerful. Well, what does Paul say? But if they want to leave, if you're married to a non-believer and, they, and, and they, 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 they create this tension, they're angry, they want you to look at porn with them, they want you to, share, they want you to do this, want you to do that. They, they just constantly, they're evil, they're ungodly, they're immoral, they don't care about your Bible, they don't care about your faith, they don't want to come to church, they raise hell constantly. Paul said, listen, what makes you think that staying in that you're going to win them? That's what Paul's saying. He said, what makes you think, husband, what makes you think, wife, that you're going to win them? Marriage is not a tool of evangelism. God is not called, and young people, listen, young people, this is when you make some dumb mistakes. I love him so much. I know he's not a Christian, Brother Jeff, but I believe that I'll, I'll be patient. I'm going to go ahead and marry him. 
And I believe in time I'll be able to win him to the Lord. That is a big pile of, well, you know what, it's a big pile. Because the Bible tells you not to be unequally yoked. Young people, listen to me. And this goes all the way back to rest of singles. You never date somebody you wouldn't marry. You never date somebody that you wouldn't marry. And if they are not a believer and they're not a follower of Christ, and I'm not talking about somebody just tells you they're a Christian. If you don't see evidence, fruit of the Holy Spirit, you better get away from them because you're dabbling and toying with something that'll come back to haunt you. You know what? Sometimes I tell single people who look at me and say, I wish I could get married. I laugh and say this. I could fill this sanctuary over and over again, pack it to the rim with married women or married men to give anything to be where you are because they're living in absolute hell. So Paul says here, he says, listen, if they're going to leave, let them leave. Verse 17, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him to which God has called him. In other words, Paul said, don't do it. When you become a Christian and all of a sudden we want to fix everything. Paul said, don't fix nothing. Wait on God. Whatever situation you're in right now, don't try to divorce, leave, abandon, do the Stay where you are and let, if, if, if you don't abandon, you don't divorce, let that person abandon, let that person divorce. Your grounds as a believer for divorce are very simple. Adultery, abandonment. Now let's read on. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Do you know there was a surgical procedure in the Roman Empire where they could reverse that? Whoa, that'd be painful. Uh, he should not become. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. What is Paul saying there? To the, to, he was saying, because see, a lot of Jews would say this. They would proselyte. They would want somebody to convert and become a Jew. They were trying to get men to be, once they wanted to become a Christian, the Jew would say, well, you need to be circumcised. You need to be proselyted to Judaism. Then you be, become a Christian. It's not that at all. Paul said, Forget all that. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the situation in which he was in when God called him. In other words, when you became a Christian, whatever situation you're in, stay there. Stay in that marriage. Stay faithful. If you're single, stay faithful until God brings somebody into your life. Verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Well, over 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Most of these people were slaves. Were you a slave? Don't let it trouble you. Don't let that get you down. Don't be discouraged by that. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Paul said, listen, if you can get free, get free. Verse 22, for he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. You may be a slave, but you're free in the eyes of God. You're free in Christ. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called as Christ's slaves, doulos, slave, he's a servant. You and I are the slaves of Christ. Verse 23, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible, as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Verse 25, now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Whoa, stop here, everybody listen. Everybody look this way. Some people say, well, wait a minute then. What is Paul saying? Is he not inspired by the Holy Spirit? I'm, I, I, what does this mean? 
Uh, is he just giving his opinion? Well, let me just give you what I'm kind of thinking here. No, he's not saying that at all. What he's saying is this, and this is critical. What he's saying is, is that the Lord did not speak to this particular segment or issue or this particular topic. The Lord did not address every topic. The Lord was speaking to the Jewish people. And he said that's who he had come to. Paul is speaking into a Gentile world, and it was a different context. But what Paul was saying is, he said, according to the Gospels and the records that we have of what Jesus taught, Jesus doesn't address this. He addresses marriage, but he doesn't address this topic. So Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let me speak to this. Does everybody understand? Does that make sense? Paul's not giving his opinion. Paul's not saying this doesn't have the same credibility. Let me tell you something. A lot of preachers do not use a red-letter Bible. They don't like them. Why? Because the red letter makes you think that some things in the Bible are more important than others. Paul said all Scripture is God-breathed, all. The Greek there, pos, means all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all divinely orchestrated by God. The red letter has no more value or worth than the black letter does. Okay, so watch what Paul, now verse 25, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who is by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy because of the present, now here you go, Therese, listen to what Paul's saying here. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. You know what Jesus said, listen, some people say, are we living in the last days? Looks like it to me. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 25? He said, woe to the woman who's pregnant. Woe to the woman who has a baby at her breast nursing a baby. We're living in a day right now where we, for the first time, for many of us, we're really questioning, do you bring children into this kind of world? You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying the Roman Empire is such a mess. The city of Corinth is such a mess. Things are so bad. We're in a present crisis. Paul said this. He said this to the virgins. He said this to the single. You may be better off to stay that way. I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Verse 26. Verse 27. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you that. You know what Paul says? Paul says this. If you can remain single, your life's a lot simpler. And all God's people said, John MacArthur made this statement in, in his commentary. He said this, he said, you know, uh, you, you'll get, you have, when you're single, you got one center. Okay, Sheila, come up here. It's only because she has my favorite blouse on that I'm letting her come up here. Okay. Now, Sheila and I married in March 19th in 1978. So she was a widow when I met her in college. She was married. Her husband was dealing in drugs. He kept some money back, and, and uh, he, was, he was run down. And so when I met her, she was a widow, and she came to Christ, became a Christian. Now, here I was a sinner by myself. Now I get married, and now we got two sinners. So we got two sinners here. And let me tell you something, there was some tension there. There were some difficulties. There were some tough times. Let me tell you, there were some times that we really, we may not have thought about divorce, but she thought about killing me. You know? so, and then we had four little sinners. 
And they've had the audacity to bring into our life 16 little tiny sinners. So now, we, listen, we've got two. We, and, and hey, they went out and married sinners. So we, we've got a, we, we're just a bunch of sinners. You know, what, you know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying this. You can go sit down. Paul was saying this. Paul was saying, listen, life is a lot simpler. If Paul were talking to rest, he'd smile and say, Therese, you're in the best case scenario right now. First of all, this country's not the best. We're not in the best time in our history to be bringing children into the world. This is one of the most dangerous cities to live in. So now you got to worry about your husband. Now you got to worry about your kids, your grandkids. So, you know, we, we live in fear. Now, you, do you want to get married and bring a family into that? Paul might say to you, you have the ability to, to so live so freely for the kingdom of God. So this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying to virgins, he's saying to those single people out there, he's saying, listen, if you can stay unmarried, you need to stay that way because when you marry, life changes. It gets tough. It's tough to make it work. Now, everybody's not as lucky as Marge married to Jerry, but it's tough for some of us. I'm teasing. Jerry's back there going... Okay, uh, verse 27, are you married? Do not seek divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Remember, Paul's talking about four groups of people. He's talking about married. He's talking about widows. He's talking about virgin. He's talking about unmarried. The unmarried are those that are divorced. And Paul is simply saying agamos. He's saying to that group of individuals, he said, listen, if you marry, better to marry than to burn. Verse 29, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short from now on, as though from now on those who have wives should live as if they have none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. What Paul basically is saying here, listen, and we're, I'm moving quickly so we can close. What Paul is saying, listen, best thing to do is live as if you're married to Christ. Live your life as if you're invested and sold out to the kingdom of God. Live as if you're a single man or woman that is living with every ounce of your being for the things of God. That's how you live. Paul said, because this stuff that we get invested in, we get tied up in. Marriage, family, grandkids, house, car, all of the complications that come once you're married, once you have a family, all the responsibility of mortgage, of life insurance, health insurance, all that stuff. Paul said, listen, that right there will so consume you that it's difficult for you to be invested in the kingdom of God. And on top of that, for every parent in this room who's worried and fretting about trying to raise their children, listen, you struggle with, man, what is the world going to look like when they get old enough, when they get older? Oh God, I wish I were to rest. Or single. But Paul says to all of us, married, unmarried, widow, virgin, Paul says to all of us, he said, listen, live as if you're a single man sold out to Christ. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. If you do, it, you'll never be happy. Let's move quickly. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. And that's how you're free from concern. People who are not married, people who are single, don't have the concerns that I have this morning. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. He's going to be divided. He has to, he has to take care of his wife, has to take care of his children, has to see to his grandchildren. Listen, his life is far more complicated than a single man who's sold out to Christ. 
It'd be a lot easier for me to be in Zimbabwe, be in Zimbabwe going Didikutsitsa Shishona, Asihandi Goni Kota Ura Jakanaka. And for those people that are thinking, oh my, he's gone speaking in tongues. I just said in Shona, I'm learning Shona and I'm not very good at it. It'd be a lot easier if I could be Amanda McDonald. And Amanda is somebody that is single, sold out to the cause of Christ, purpose, and if you get, and if a millionaire came up to, and if there's one out there watching, Amanda McDonald, if she could, she would leave right now, immediately go to Somalia, go to, she'd go to Egypt, she'd go right back to Africa, go back to a dangerous place. She's a single woman sold out to Christ. The only thing she doesn't have is the adequate funds to do that. She just throws caution to the wind. And I envy her. Let me, let's close. His interests are divided. Verse 34, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Okay, unmarried virgin, remember unmarried. Unmarried virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul over and over again pushes for singleness. And the mom of seven has finally raised her hand. Speak very loudly, Bill. What is it? Loud, real loud. Okay, the, the bottom line is Paul has made it clear. Paul has made it clear that for a single person, they would have to be gifted with the ability to live a chaste life. To live, to live that is not an issue for them. There are men and women that are single, that are on the front line of the cause of Christ, missionaries, people in primitive wilderness areas. There are people who just simply look at me and go, Brother Jeff, when it comes to sex, it's not a big deal to me. I, I, don't, I don't have to have it. I, I, I can live without it. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about other people. And the reason being is because those people have that gift. It is a gift that Paul said they have. It, hey, now listen, if you don't have that gift, then you need to get married. Because Paul said it better to marry than to burn with passion. But make sure that you get married in the time of God according to the will of God. This don't mean you just run out and get married because, you know, I need to marry because I have some passion. No, you learn to bridle that and wait on God to bring the right person into your life. And then you wait for the right time to marry that person. And let me tell you, people come up all the time, and I hear this. Uh, you know, people will make, uh, MacArthur brings this up. He brings it up in his commentary. He said people will come up and say, uh, Brother Jeff, we just wanted to let you know of our engagement. We're getting married. Oh, that's great. When? In 18 months to two years. Why are you going to wait 18 months to two years? Well, we, we want to save money because we want to have a really nice church wedding. Honey, listen, forget that. Chances are in 18 months to two years, you're going to mess up and you're going to compromise with each other or you're going to put yourself in a situation to where you begin to fail morally, spiritually. And let me tell you, once you become promiscuous, it's hard to stop. Best thing to do if God's called you to get married and you know this is God's will for your life, then you get married. 
Don't wait two years, wait two months. And if you don't have any money, let me tell you, if you don't have any money, we'll fix this church up and have a wedding next Sunday. Right? Well, let's close. Verse 36, if anyone thinks he's acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. Verse 37, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, he who does not marry her does even better. Paul believes in singleness. Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must what? Belong to the Lord. In my judgment, here he goes again, in my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Paul said this, if she's a widow, her husband dies, Paul said she's better off stay single, stay like I am. Devoted to the Lord, that's fine, if she can handle that. If she can't handle it and she's going to marry, she needs to marry. Now he's talking to believers here. She needs to marry somebody that's in the faith. She does not need to go out and find anybody and everybody. She needs to look for the man that God or the woman God brings into that person's life. And they need to marry. Any questions? Makes sense? Now let's do one thing quickly before we pray. Brother Jeff, this is the hand that doesn't go up. I divorced. I divorced, but I didn't have the grounds to divorce. According to what you're saying, I divorced my husband, I divorced my wife. It was not due to adultery, not due to abandonment. We just didn't get along. I got tired of it, and I walked out, and I got a divorce. Am I going to hell? Am I forever separated from the Lord because, I, because I'm the Bible, Matthew 19? If I understand Jesus, am I adulterer or an adulteress? Now, let me, let me say first of all to you one thing. If you got saved after your divorce then you're a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul said that. So if you got saved after your divorce, first of all, I want you to know something. You're a new person. Your past is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, you say, well, no, I, I did it as a Christian. Well, then it was sin. Well, what do I do? 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, homologeo, Homologeo means I say the same thing that God says. I just simply say, God, it was a time in my life when I wasn't walking with you. It was a time in my life when I wasn't living in the will of God. It was a time in my life when I was rebelling against you. Whatever it may be, it was a time in my life, God, when I was so tired of listening to the arguing and the fighting. God, it was, I was just so sick and tired of it. And God, I just got tired of it. And I ended the marriage. I just finally gave up and gave in and it was over. And you just simply say this, and it's not simply saying it, it's simply saying this, God, forgive me. God, I messed up. I ended, I ended that relationship, maybe I could have tried harder, maybe there was things I could have done, but I didn't. And God, here I am now. God, forgive me. 
Johnny Gooch. Johnny Gooch is one of my dearest friends. Johnny Gooch owned uh, Cypress Depot, a business in Madison. Johnny Gooch is just a great godly man. Johnny Gooch had, his son was, his only son was killed, pre-med student, senior year from Ole Miss in a car accident. Johnny Gooch was uh, divorced and had that little boy and then was became, he divorced, he remarried, and then he got saved. You know what Johnny told me he did? Johnny said one day he went to his ex, he sat down in her kitchen where his little boy was playing. And he looked at her and said, I want you to know something, I was wrong. I was not, I, I was not a Christian, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And, and I was wrong and I want to ask you to forgive me. Some of you may have to do that with an ex. You may have to say, listen, I, I, I've come to you to ask you to forgive me. Maybe I could have done more and I didn't. But let me tell you this, and I want you to listen to me closely. Regardless, as a believer, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sin, some total, and my sin, is under the blood of Jesus Christ. It has been atoned for. It has been covered. You have a new identity. Your identity is Christ. You are in Christ. You have been forgiven regardless of that divorce, regardless of whether it was your fault or not. If it is under the blood of Jesus Christ, it has been forgiven, and you are in a right standing, justified before God, sinless. You say, how can that be? Because of that cross right there. Your sin, past, present, and future, all of it, was put on that cross. God imputed. He took on your account. He took your sin on your account and my account, whatever it may be, adultery, divorce, thievery, murder, whatever it did, he took that and put it on his account and nailed it to Calvary, nailed it to the cross. He took the righteousness of Christ, put that on your account, and you're saved. That's what it means to be imputed. You don't have to carry that anymore. And don't let anybody steal your joy because they become legalistic and they go back to the Old Testament and they start living by the law. Don't let that confuse you. Some of you don't need to unfollow somebody. Some of you need to unfriend. You need to close that. And I'm telling you that God will forgive you and cleanse you. And if you're here today and you say, Brother Jeff, I don't know Jesus Christ. Or you're, you're watching a live stream you say, I don't know him. My life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. Then Jesus Christ can come in right now and work, do a work in your life. And let me tell you, most effectively will begin to affect everybody you're tied to. Let's stand. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you. And Lord, we've moved through this passage very quickly. Oh, it'll be good to move on. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we're damaged. In fact, everybody look this way. Look this way. We're still praying. I don't know how many of you have seen The Chosen. Anybody seen The Chosen? Raise your hand. Johnny and Kathy, you haven't seen The Chosen? It's unbelievable. Eric will come down here and give you a tutor lesson on, uh, on how to get The Chosen on an app. Bell and, and Russell have been watching it. And, and they, you can't live with Belle if you get her on The Chosen. It's unbelievable. It's the best presentation of Jesus Christ on video I've ever seen in my life. Tina, have you seen it? You seen The Chosen? 
Okay, it's unbelievable. Mary, who's been delivered of all this demonic oppression and everything, Mary falls off the wagon and goes back into that life a little bit. Jesus sends Peter and, and Matthew to go get her. And they bring Mary back to Jesus. And here she is, she's kind of fallen off the wagon. And she's crying and she looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, she said, uh, I messed up. You redeemed me, but I, but I failed. I've let you down. I'm not, she almost says, talking like she's not redeemed anymore. Jesus turns around and smiles at her and says, wow, if you can lose that redemption in one day, that's not much of a redemption, is it? We're always falling off the wagon. We all have sins and strongholds. We're all battling. Who has a right to pull your skeletons out of your closet? Who has a right to beat you up with your failures and shortcomings when Jesus has covered it with his blood? You don't have to live in guilt and bondage anymore. He'll set you free. Let's finish this prayer. Lord, we pray that you speak to us now. And Lord, you just allow your grace to wrap around us and fill us with that unfailing love. Lord, if there's some that need to come and say, Brother Jeff, I want to be saved, may they do, do that today. If there's some watching in live stream, may they understand they can bow down right now in that room, in that office, by that computer. Had a, had a man called me one day, he said, my wife and I are sitting in front of the computer and we're both crying as we're listening to this message. I pray, dear Lord, if there's somebody under the conviction of sin, wherever they may be, may they right now reach out and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart, save me. Lord, for others that may need to come to this altar, spend a moment in prayer. For some that may have to even do the painful thing of writing a letter, sending it to an ex, or just simply saying, I'm sorry. I want you to know that I'm sorry. God's doing a great thing in my life. I've moved on. God's blessed me with a good husband, a good wife. God's brought healing to my life, but I want to tell you that I'm sorry for my part. And most of all, that it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we give this to you, this service, this invitation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You come, I'll be here at the front. You come, if Christ is speaking to you, Russell's here, Sheila's here. She can pray with you. Whatever that need is, you come. If you need to spend a moment at this altar, you come. May never be a moment like this moment.